Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Three Questions. I'm your host, Andy Richter. Today, I'm talking to Joe Para. Joe is a stand-up comedian, writer, and actor. He was the creator and star of Joe Para Talks With You on Adult Swim and currently hosts the podcast Drifting Off with Joe Para. Joe's new stand-up special, Slow and Steady, is available now on YouTube. Joe joined me via Zoom from New York City. Here is my conversation with the very funny Joe Para. Are you at home, or is that a workspace for you? Yep, I'm in my basement. I, oh, uh, nice. Yeah, I have a, a garden-level apartment with a little basement, and I'm able to work down here. I got my desk and a little, a little. yeah, it's quiet. It's very quiet for New York. That's good. That's good. Yeah. yeah, and do you do your podcast down there? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep hard to pick up the computer but there's like a little closet i'll record it and then i'll i'll write it down here and it's kind of nice because the subway is a block away and there's every few minutes there's a little rumble but i think it has a nice effect for the feel of the podcast yeah Yeah. like a little a little white noise a little the notion of a little bit of rocking someone to sleep truly you feel like you're in a basement when we record and we don't we don't try and hide that too much yeah 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 how about you I just recently got remarried and I'm moving into a, my, my wife and I bought a house together before we even got married, uh, that needed a lot of renovation. It's from 1907 and, uh, yeah, it's an oldie. And, um, so we, we just are getting it ready finally to be moved into. And, uh, so I'm like, my whole life is in flux. Every time I leave the house, I fill up the house or I fill up my car with junk to take over to the New house, new old house, and, uh, yeah. you know, it's just, and, it, you know, and it also is just like, a, it's a good lesson on, like, I it never occurs to me until I'm ready to move, but just, why do I have so much shit? Why so many things, so many things that really, you know, like someone could come in in the night and steal two-thirds of my belongings, and I probably would be able to continue on just fine. No, I yeah. know. It feels like I learn that lesson every time I move and then I forget it. This just yeah. seems to be like a rule that as much space as you have, you'll fill it up. Yeah. And yeah. then, yeah, and then get angry at yourself for a little bit. But yeah, yeah. I'll, no, this last move, I was like, okay, as the movers were coming, I'm like, I was really supposed to get rid of some of this crap. And then they came, and now I'm like, you know, it's at the other end. I'm like, I really should have gotten rid of some of this crap, especially because my wife and I are combining two households. So lots yeah. of redundancies. So Com- Combining all your knickknacks. 
my wife thinks I'm a knickknack person, but I don't think I am necessarily. Um, I mean, I have, I do like to cook, so I have too much kitchen stuff. So that's, you know, that's when she finds out how much kitchen stuff I actually have, it, that will be embarrassing. Um, oh, she hasn't, you didn't tell her before the wedding? Well, no, I mean, it just was, she, you know, she'd been to my house, but I don't think that she was there and was like, I need to check on how, you know, <laughs> let me go through his kitchen cabinets and see how much stuff he has. Um, yeah. um but yeah, no, she's going to find out that, you know, like, like that I, you know, that there's just like a lot of dumb stuff that I have. So. Is it cooking tools or do you like glasses? Is oh, it no, it's not like that. It's no, it's just like things. It's like particular kinds of pans, you know, and, uh, and also too, like, you know, like I have a thing that where you can, one of those burners you put in your backyard that you can do like <laughs> crawfish boils with and a, like a big oh. pot that you could do like a crawfish boil in. And, I, you know, and I know she's going to be like, what, what are you, what, you know, the, the Cajun <laughs> chef, what the hell is going on with this? But, you know, I don't know if you've ever had like a crab boil in your backyard. It is exciting. It is a lot of fun, you know. Uh, so stuff like that, mm. you know, stuff that like, like giant things that you use once or twice a year, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. She yeah. has no idea. She, that's, uh, she had no one. Do many yeah. people have an idea what a crawfish guy you are? <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't know about that, you know? No, but I think people do know I like to cook. Uh, you know, like I, I for years have been someone who, uh, especially in Los Angeles, you know, you go to people's house and they'll have like, din they'll say we're having dinner. And then you get there and somebody else has cooked the dinner. Like they hired somebody to cook the dinner. And I don't, I feel like that's not the point. Like the cooking is the point, you know, it's like, I did all this work for you. Like I chopped onions for you and I, you know, I made a crust for you. And, um, and also then too, by the time the food is ready, I'm like, that's what I'm giving you. I don't really want to talk that much. <laughs> just slump over in your chair. Yeah, watch yeah. me. Like, just eat it. Just eat it and go. And that's, and that's enough of a transaction for me. Now, wait, we got to stop talking about me. We got to start talking about you. Um, Cause you're living, you're living in New York city, right? Yeah. I've heard and you're from, you're from New York state, right? So you're close. Are you close to home? Uh, eight hours in the car, 50 minute flight. I'm from, Buffalo originally. Oh, from Buffalo, right. And so I kind of, uh, I, uh, I made my way across the state. I went to, to school in Ithaca, not, yeah. not, not Cornell. I'm not an Ivy League guy, but I then just kind of kept working my way east and um, after school and ended up in Brooklyn. Yeah. And are, do you still have family up in Buffalo? And are, are you know, and are you close to them? And do you see them a lot? Yeah, it's Great. All most of them are there, and I, I think a lot of the reason, in addition to just being a place where there's a lot of stand up happening, uh, I like it here because I can get home in an hour if I want. I go home for a lot of the holidays, so I, I got I got nice folks, so I, yeah. I I go home as often as possible. And your parent are your parents still together? Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Why did you laugh at that? It's a it's a legit question these days. No, I know, I know. It's just 
funny. I just wondering. Yeah, no, I guess that's interesting. You can't you can't a, picture you can't picture them being apart from each other. No, no, no. It's just funny from a comedian for like what kind of like yeah, from a comedy perspective. I guess it's funny. Have you ever watched like a show and thought like which performers have divorced parents and which <laughs> performers have parents that are I together? Yeah, well, I mean, and I also too like you can yeah, there's a lot. You can make that supposition about lots of people, whether or not they're comedians or otherwise. You could be like, oh, that person experienced loss at a very early age, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, well, what do you, I mean, what do you think, you, you know, I mean, what do you think that that you have that uh, if your parents were divorced, that would be different about you? Uh, definitely my, the stuff hanging on the wall behind me would just be a little bit more uh, tilted and off center. <laughs> it is, it is very, very organized. You have, there are bulletin I, boards behind you. I think the main difference, I have a, I have a either one ponytail or two ponytails. <laughs> um, Pony, two, po two ponytails are called pigtails and you would, you would have pigtails then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's probably the big difference. Are you from a big family siblings? Yeah. I got a brother and a sister, but oh, okay. it's, uh, it was, we had an extended, uh, not enormous, but a pretty big family on my dad. He's Italian. So they had a close family, large family gatherings. Uh, Lots excuse. of cousins. And, yeah. Yes. And yeah. Um, so that was, that was a pretty big part of my upbringing, have that large of a family. And yeah, uh, I guess I made a boiled down like my my dad's side of the family is like real uh, kind of ball busters and they like making fun of each other and um then my mom's side is a little more sensitive so i think it's like that combination is kind of where my sense of humor comes from is where those two things kind of collide yeah yeah and do you do you tend to land more on one of one or the other in your in your regular life uh, depends well, um, yeah, I had a joke a while ago. I probably ought to work it in. It's like under my uh, uh, cool German Irish exterior, I got a, a, a passionate Italian anger or something like that. I forget yeah, yeah, how yeah. it went, but it's <laughs> that, uh, there's a little bit of anger in there. And yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. My uh, my joke about mine is uh, that I'm uh, German and Swedish, so I'm angry and depressed. You know, I'm angry. <laughs> Get I get the best of both of those <laughs> illustrious nationalities. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a crow? You have a very specific comic persona. 
and and that specific. I mean, I mean, in specific comic persona in terms of the 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 spectrum of comedy. Like, there's not a lot of people doing what you do. You know that there's not a lot of people that kind of are working in the colors that you work in and kind of in the themes that you work in and at the pace that you work and, you know, with the, with the, the affect that you, that you have, like Joe Para is Joe Para, but your name is Joe Para. Like you didn't become, you know, like Bobcat Para, you know what I mean? You're Joe Para. And I just wonder, like, was that a calculation that you had like early on? Like, Cause I don't, I mean, cause the whole asking you how much of the Joe Para that we see is the Joe Para that everyone else sees is it? I feel, I mean, although I just said it, but it's like, that's, that seems an inelegant question. That's kind of a little personal. And I, and I feel like that we should, I want to find that out by showing rather than telling. Yeah. Um, but I mean, is that kind of, do you think that that causes this discomfort with people knowing things about you that aren't just comedy? It's much more interesting to me to leave certain things un, uh, unsketched or like uncolored and leaving a certain degree of open-endedness coming into the show or watching a special or or any other, my other work, it's, uh, I feel it's much more interesting if there isn't everything that's known, which is hard. Yeah, it seems like it's harder, if not impossible these days. But like, um, I got to talk with uh, Danny McBride's producer, and he's like pretty serious about not doing like social media and like, Allowing that, uh, not having everything shown so that people can truly get into his characters and work without, I don't know, kind of like the celebrity aspects or involved and the, the stuff outside of the work, not interfering with the stuff inside the work. It's definitely different, but I feel like keeping the focus on the work is uh, really important to me and not uh, yeah not creating too many elements outside of it so that the focus is the thing that I'm presenting or saying and, and the, at the time okay I mean because when we talk about your work we're talking about the Joe Para that we all see and I'm wondering how that guy because I know at college I mean one of the one of the one of the things that I have about you is that you entered and won the college's stand-up comedy con uh, competition uh, three times. And I can just think of somebody in college getting on stage and doing what you do for a bunch of college students is not a, not a run-of-the-mill decision. You know, it's not like, it's not like, you're not going to, like I said, I bet there was no other Joe Para-like people up on stage there. and. I'm wondering how much kind of calculation went into that, how much you thought, you know, like, I think I'm going to go the other way from what most comedy is, or was it just, this is the way I like to be funny and I'm going to give it a try. I think 
maybe the stuff that I grew up with in the 90s was real loud in your face. There are a lot of, uh, I don't know, it felt, uh, I don't know, maybe it was just the stuff that I was exposed to was very, uh, I don't know, yeah, very, very fast-paced and uh, obnoxious, I think. I don't know. People were still getting a kick out of, like, dropping certain swear words on stage. So I kind of just thought about taking it in the other direction. If I could, it, not necessarily as a means to stand out, but just that's what I thought was more interesting. In that's an instant. Direct to sing. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So I, would, I started in high school, and I would just write jokes with my friend Dan Licata, who I still work with in his basement, and we never – performed them until until I got to school and there was a stand-up competition I decided to enter and uh, I think it was some of the jokes that I wrote in high school and uh, but just it was always kind of I don't know we got to see Dan and I we got to see Mitch Hedberg before he passed and that was I don't know there's probably a lot, a lot, a good, a bit of influence from him at the time. I think for a lot of comedians, but yeah, just an appreciation of the, um, the sparseness of, or not the sparseness, but the conciseness of his words and mm-hmm. the way that he was able to, wow, yeah, just be so precise with his laughs and be. He was a great joke writer, I guess. We saw him a few, uh, I think it might have been not more than a few weeks before he died in Buffalo. We saw it and like, uh, uh, yeah, it was, we got a kick. Me and Dan thought he was hilarious because he was, he was a little bit, uh, he was very under the influence on stage. He had to lie down to get through his set and like that was that was awesome to us that was so funny and he yeah. grabbed the broom and pretended to sweep the 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 bad jokes off the stage because he was fumbling his words and stuff and then like or it was our uh, went with our dads and they kind of saw kind of what was going on for real and it was not a, I don't know years later I understand why my dad didn't think it was as funny to him because he probably uh, he probably had the a father's concern for someone you know in in crisis basically you know and you guys are young and you're like hardy har yeah and it was the yeah. whole punk rock spirit of it even if he couldn't get through all the jokes it was fine but they I think had an older school take on comedy my dad has a kind of yeah an old school taste in comedy yeah. Uh, and thought it was unprofessional, which uh, I guess that's how you take it. It was a riot to us, and yeah, but but sad. I don't yeah. know. That's another guy. Yeah, I like that about Mitch too. I guess maybe that was an influence of his. Is like, yeah, very conceptual, but it wasn't like, hey, I'm Mitch Hedberg, and here's the you know, y- you know, it wasn't like. Here's the problem with women these days. It was very much like, hey, I'm Mitch Hedberg, and here's a blueprint of how my brain works. Yes, it was interesting, creative approach to all these jokes. He wasn't taking concepts that were, you know, 
wildly philosophical. He was taking everyday stuff, like where the yeah, uh, what you know that joke about uh, a million grains of rice, or trying to stay at a quadruple tree, not a because it's better than a double tree. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. Uh, this. There wasn't you know. It was just an interesting way to look at the the world, and it wasn't yeah. trying to be that. I don't know. Who are, who are, who are other people coming up like that, that you kind of, you know, that, that were influences on you that were, that were in opposition to all that kind of obnoxious, loud, you know, trashy, I'm a trashy, that's my, that's my, that's my editorializing, but the obnoxious yeah. ones that you say you were kind of turned off by. Uh, I mean, I love Christopher Guest movies and yeah. I would love, uh, uh, when I first moved to New York, it was always like a treat to see Hannibal Burris perform. And yeah. I got to be there kind of he at the time where he would still drop in and do a bar show. And uh, like people would pack in to see him. That was really exciting, you know. And I think that that's the people I always looked to, like, so I mean that's the goal. They're like Hannibal is so deeply funny to his core that just the simple mannerisms or the way he delivers a line that's not even a joke can be funny. Yeah. Uh, same with Mitch. Same with a lot of the Christopher Guest characters. That I don't know. That's always the goal to just kind of like tap in and be funny to your core. You know, it feels yeah, like. Yeah get to like a zen level of comedy yeah and they yeah and thinking about it yeah to just be funny was stand-up what always like was that always the pinnacle for you or did you i mean because because most people that don't go to stand-up know you from your shows and from your sort of like you know and and i think that they're kind of more aware of you in these environments that you create as opposed to a stand-up comedy environment which quite frankly it's hard to picture joe para in a lot of stand-up clubs like i just you know to go to like the you know the chuckle factory in lincoln nebraska i feel like there's probably a lot of impatient people in that audience that are like what the fuck is this guy that's part of the fun and you can't win them all but like yeah i remember being at a stand-up club and i knew that i tried to wor work a little bit of both alt rooms and clubs it was a treat to get into a club and get paid 25 bucks or get dinner at caroline's yeah. early on but like i knew i think that i had tried to take the ideas that were making me laugh and were maybe a little bit more uh on the creative side or less traditional stand-up but i had been there's an episode in the first season of my show where I'm talking about fireworks and the uh, four stages of watching fireworks. And that started as a bit that I did live. And there would be, uh, there was like fireworks sound effects and a pause while I reacted to watching fireworks on stage. And so I think I knew I had a good bit when I kind of like formed it in an alt room and then made sure that the jokes were tight enough that I could go into a comedy club and they would not, they would be patient enough and laughing 
constantly enough that the, the whole bit would still maintain its kind of creative feel while still holding the attention of a comedy club yeah. audience. And that was like, those were, it was amazing. I had like, when, I they're, when they're playing this fireworks sound effect and a club comedy audience is patient enough to watch me react to fake fireworks on the back yeah, wall. Yeah. And it's f f working on both of those levels. That's when it's like, this is, this is exciting for me that I can take something like this and make it work in a different sorts yeah. of rooms. So, is that is the is that kind of charge? Is that like is that the pinnacle for you in terms of like you know is that is that like the most delicious thing that you get to experience? Yes, yeah. is taking something that would be hard to get laughs or keep attention with and making it work or just taking like a small concept i'm thinking like um i don't know the joke about the, the ice cubes in my new special mm -hmm. and taking a bit just about ice cubes and then uh making ice cubes for your boys and then yeah. turning it into a longer bit at the end tied into air conditioning and uh having the relationship where you're now uh, living with your partner and the cubes bridging that all the way to the ending of the special and trying mm -hmm. to just take a small concept and figure out from almost any angle why it's funny and how it can fit into a bigger picture and it doesn't always work but that's the goal is to take something small or that somebody might not be able to find a joke in otherwise and try and make it not only like do a joke about it, but like swell it as big as possible and try and find some meaning in it too. Yeah. Do you ever come up with jokes that, that, that like just don't fit your, you know I mean? Because there are, there are jokes, you know, you, there are like some real kind of rim shoddy kind of jokes that might not even kind of fit into your world. And I'm wondering, do you ever come up with stuff that you think like, oh yeah, I'd love to do that, but it's not really me. Yeah, I got a new joke that I'm working on, and it's, I don't know how it fits into the new set, but I know that it works, and it's like, if I have the premises, like, I'm not a strip club guy, but I've got an insider tip. If you bring an exotic dancer, a tropical fish, they will do next-level freak stuff for you. <laughs> Yeah, see so, that's what well, but see that I I find that that fits right in. I mean, well, A, it's just fucking funny. And and because what's great about it is that there's a whole history. It just like it's like it's like one of those statements that it just blossoms in your head of like you can see the trial and error. You can see you can see this guy thinking, I'm going to the strip club. What would the ladies appreciate? You know, well, who doesn't like tropical fish? Or standing in Petco and going, you know what? Looking into this tank, I'm thinking of titty. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's great. It's got like a, you know, it's got a whole backstory to it. Yeah. So I'm trying to grow. I'm reading a book about a uh, uh, arowana fish that is highly priced in East Asia. And I don't... I don't, you know, I could, maybe the joke will grow in that direction. Maybe it'll grow in the direction of uh, 
actually how it plays out when I bring a, a stripper a peppermint anglefish. Yeah. But part of it just left alone. That's was I don't know. That's why I guess maybe I don't feel need to like do personal stuff as that much because or specific details about personal stuff is because it's more fun when somebody could say, I don't know, is Joe actually a strip club guy? Yeah. And, and, you know, did he actually try this? And then if those questions aren't answered, it's more fun for an audience to think on for a little bit. Because I don't know, maybe I am a strip club guy, Andy. Maybe I go every day. <laughs> well, I I am interested because, like, on on your on the talks with you show, sure. You know, your name again is Joe Para. You yep. are kind of you know the same guy that you are on stage, but you're a different guy. You know, you're not from Market, Michigan, and you're not a choir teacher, and. And that show does end up, I mean, there is kind of the same kind of slow, quiet unfolding of a concept that happens. And often, you know, in your show, it'll be about something ostensibly, but then it turns out it's about something completely else, which is a a great, dare I say, gimmick, you know, that is just that you can do over and over and over in a really wonderful kind of like a very sturdy kind of way. Like it's a great, great form to, to be able to do something repeatedly, which is like the key to all TV, you know, comedy series. Um, but there is a lot of emotion, you know, and there is a lot of like stuff about human contact and human relationships. And there are a lot of heartstrings in there. And it does seem, it does seem separate from your standup because your standup, you know, and as you said, it's not personal. And so it's like, it can, it can be, and, and I mean, and this isn't necessarily about, about uh-huh. your, you know what I mean? Like there's, there does seem to be like a difference. Like when you do get to be in a, in, in a filmed environment, it does become more, more humanized maybe. I don't know. It's, I mean, have you, yeah. have you noticed that and thought about that and, and why? I think, I mean, the show, we said it in Marquette because I, I, I'm a comedian. That's how I. Uh, that's that's my profession. I didn't want to do a show about a comedian because that's been done a, yeah. a million times. It'll be done a million more. So, being from Buffalo, I I kind of chose Marquette because it's. For a lot of reasons, there's overlap, but it's a little bit more dramatic. It's at the foot of this big lake, lonely, um, surrounded by nature, stuff I wanted to incorporate with the show. But also it allowed me to put a little bit more imagination on it because as soon as it was slightly fictionalized, it added to a lot of – it gave creative leeway. And, um, yeah, I guess I – imagined it as perhaps like what my life might be like if I studied to be a, a, a music teacher like a lot of my friends did at school mm-hmm. and maybe stay, stayed in Buffalo as opposed to doing comedy and it allowed me to perhaps 
live that alternative life in a way. Uh, but I think with the stand-up, and a lot of the stuff on the show did come from stand-up, at least in the, I don't know, everything that I talk about and uh, the, the emotions they do, I feel, come exactly from real life. But like the grandmother dying in the show, that happened kind of in season two. Yeah, which happened to me in during season one, and I don't think I I was so buried in making the show that I didn't really have time to deal with it properly, and yeah. then uh, so I I kind of used the show and with stand up I, I do talk about real real things, and like at the end of the special I've. Uh, I have a stand-in for my real girlfriend, except for I named her Yubi in the joke. And it adds creative leeway, but the emotions about being comfortable living and sleeping with somebody for the first time remain. And I, I hope that that can be felt. Um, I don't know. There's some goofier stuff in there too, which I wanted to, especially coming out of the show, it felt freeing to maybe be able to do some goofier stuff in the stand-up special. And uh, I don't know, maybe say some things that the the choir teacher in Michigan wouldn't say. I see. But Yeah, that was, that was actually but, something that had occurred to me in looking at your stuff is, do you ever feel constrained by by well like in the show like you know like like there's just like so many things that I don't, I don't know this might be a dumb question because you know there's every character has a list of what they would do and what they wouldn't do you know but i mean but has it ever felt kind of you know because there is kind of he does he does live in kind of a a a, a defined environment um and does, you know, do you ever worry like, ah, I can't ever do anything about uh, ra rage <laughs> or I don't know, or, you know. No, he, he, get, he gets angry about the same little things that I do sometimes. But no, there's, we had some writers like Conor O'Malley yeah. and Who's Dan Licato. A, 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 a maestro of rage. You know? a, absolutely. Yeah. I, and, uh. But he, I always, one of the harder parts about the show was like, but I think it's what made it good is him and Dan would stretch what would fit into the show. But at the same time, yeah, having to pull that back and find the balance between having that work against the sweetness or the emotional stuff was what made it really work. Like for the first, uh, like, the first thing we ever made was, uh, or the live action was Joe Parra helps you find the perfect Christmas tree. Yeah. And we couldn't figure out the perfect ending. And Connor's idea was he can't find the perfect Christmas tree. And then Connor had the idea that I forget why, but that I receive horse punishment is, and they, the people in town tie me to the back of the horse and drag me through town. But then my st my students come out and stop it at the very last minute. <laughs> and 
And uh, it's hard to deny. That's the funniest idea. But what was uh, trying to pull back and find something that was possible, but within the weird range of the show was that the students chipped in together to buy me a Christmas tree, which is also strange in its own way. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was sweet and funny, but Connors would have, it's just like, how do you make the choice? And we chose what could potentially happen if that was, uh, that was what could potentially happen. It yeah, could yeah. potentially happen, believably. Maybe it's a short stretch, but yeah. So it was all kind of like trying to the push and pull between that, but we had to strike a lot of like true, like amazing ideas. Um, because just that, yeah, just, they, they didn't fit in that universe. Yeah, and it would just be too far-fetched for real life. And sometimes it's so fun to take those swings. Like, And I feel like in stand-up where there's less restraints, you're able to yeah. take it anywhere. But still, I try and yeah, do maintain a tone on of ground in the same way. Yeah, yeah. where it's not – because you got to stretch, I think, but not do something that then they think, oh, he's a, he's just – plain lying to us up there. Yeah. But I feel, yeah. Just out of, I, I mean, I, I uh, these are just nuts and bolts questions, but why Marquette, Michigan? W- why did you settle upon there? It was, it's 20,000 people. It's about, uh, it, uh, it's a, that's a size of a town. I felt where kind of, you could run into anybody and there was lots of different stuff going on, but also uh, uh, small enough where you could also uh, rec- recognize people. And you know, you know people, you know, kind of a little bit of what's going on, or you yeah, catch I, glimpses. I, but it's, it's it, big yeah. enough to sustain all stuff right. aspects of a community. Um, and then the hockey, the beer, the, they get a lot of snow, and yeah, yeah. just like. Um, the way that the whole downtown, the people, they're funny. They, there's a lot of, uh, Finnish people up there and I appreciate their sense of humor and it's, you know, adjacent, the dryness adjacent to certain types of Canadian humor that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the whole, one of the main streets just opens up onto Lake Superior and you get this view and it's just, there's something about being in the middle of a town, but also having this enormous cold lake. Yeah. Full of metal. Always pre- full, full of metal. metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah no, there's- I, I just ask because I'm from the Midwest and I, and people, I mean, and I still, the Great Lakes are like absolutely gorgeous. And yet I've always like, and I, I've always kind of liked that, you know, it's like you said, there's fins, you know, it's like, like where else you'd be like, oh yeah, there's a lot of fins up there. And so like, you get a lot of Finnish food up there and it's, you know, I mean, I just kind of love that. And I also love the fact that there are these beautiful places, waterfront, you get all, you know, cause you think waterfront, you don't think 
giant barges filled with ore. But that's what yeah. most of the Great Lakes and where the the sort of population centers are were based on commerce, just commerce, you know. Right. Um, and so I, I, it's a perfect setting for the show. And Thanks. I wonder, do, do you cast from up there or do, do you cast in New York and then bring people out? One of the nice parts, we shot uh, each season a few weeks in Marquette and then a f- uh, like the rest in Milwaukee. Oh, wow. Um, just worked out that way because you yeah. can drive up there. But we had kind of, we cast a lot of local people in Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, and then it was amazing because we could bring in uh, Chicago improvisers, people yeah. that are so good, but like perhaps you haven't seen them on TV a ton. So it was like really exciting to be have access Absolutely. to both those things. Um, yeah. So that was that was a real treat, and I loved. Like we would cast a lot of. We ended up. We had a lot of extras casting that turned into regular roles and just stuff like we would go into a restaurant and if someone was in there and they seemed perfect or the woman in the the hairdressing shop who actually owned the shop, she ended up, um, we just asked her to do it because, and her staff to play the roles because nobody could do it as well as them. Yeah. They've worked there for 50 years and to see them do their thing, you know, there's challenges, but I don't know. I just want to add also, Marquette, I saw this. There's, It feels like a good place for interesting people. There's a guy walk out of a snowmobile bar. He took, as he was smoking, he took uh, snow off the roof, rubbed his hands together, and then slicked his hair back. And I was like, that's <laughs> like, that's. It's going, yeah, know, yeah. That's just an interesting guy. Yeah, that's and, that's like uh, you know Arctic Circle Fonzie right there. You know, exactly. Yeah. We asked him if he would be in the the show, but he said no, which is even cooler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably gets a, probably this. He doesn't want to be seen on camera for various <laughs> yeah. reasons. I bet. Do you have like grand plans uh, for the rest of your life? Is a family in the picture for you? Do you think you'll always be a New Yorker? Do you think you'll, you know, some ways become the Joe Parra character and 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 move away from it all? Yeah. Well, family-wise, yeah, I hope to get uh, to 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 have kids someday. I think that would be very nice. But it's um, yeah, I'm appreciating this bit of time before I have them to continue doing shows on the road and um hopefully figuring out new stuff. I'm kind of using stand-up right now to help me figure out the new thing. And like, if the special seemed different than the show, it was like, I want to keep the comedy growing in an interesting direction that I don't know what it is, but performing live, I feel helps figure it out and set new ideas in motion. Part of me, I I do want to make a film someday um, but part of me does feel like I kind of did make the show I was meant to make. Mm-hmm. And there's a, uh, a, a relief in that. And I kind of like, um, I feel good. I feel good that it 
happened, especially at this point. It sucks it was canceled, but like I felt yeah. like that's that was the show and the characters I was supposed to do, and everything else now is a little bit of a bonus. Oh, I don't know. Does I'll that get fired does, up? Does that does that feel? Does that because I I know, I, I mean I've seen it a lot, where when somebody achieves. You know, they kind of achieve their own personal bullseye and then they got to go on with their life. And there's a little bit of like, okay, now what? And have you experienced a bit of that because of, because like you said, you did the show you were supposed to do and now it's over? I don't know. It's, it's three seasons of 15 minute episodes. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, no, I don't, I but, you know. No, 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 I, I know. And maybe I'm, yeah, I know I'm no, like, uh, Kurosawa. I'm not, I'm not going to make seven I, samurai. I know, I know. But, but, yeah, part of me feels like I had something inside of me that I've, I don't want to say vomited, but it came out. Yeah. And I'm, it's not perfect, but I feel like it was a true expression of everything I really wanted to put in a show. Yeah, and that's that's a nice feeling, and I know I've got a couple ideas I'm playing with, and uh, but yeah, for a film. But like last week, I felt fired up. I got to perform a week of shows at this small venue in Pittsburgh to start working on new material mm -hmm. and uh, performing live for 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 people. Uh, and drinking beers with them at the end of the night is called Bottle Rocket. It was like the best time, and it felt so good to um, do nothing but write uh, and and perform in such like a kind of a way that felt like when I was starting and nothing else mattered. Um, that was exciting, and I feel like something's going to come from that and being on tour again and i'm gonna find i don't know i i could get fired up about lots of stuff so i think yeah. there's something else in there but yeah if, if yeah i want everyone to know uh that uh, tickets for your uh 2024 tour dates are available uh so go out and see you and uh but are the do you are you at the point now where you're mostly being seen by people by joe para fans but not a lot of just kind of looky loos hand, randos coming in, you know. I hope that more random people come in because, like, I think that's no. I I'm so excited that fans are coming out. It yeah. feels like the thing you always work for. But you know, there's something exciting about winning over an audience sure. that doesn't know what's going on, or um, so that's that's. That um, yeah, both are great. I hope that there's yeah, yeah. new people win over because like at the the comedy clubs when you got to make something work for the first time yeah. for people who have who had no preconceived notions about what you're gonna do is really a treat. I um, imagine I imagine too. It's fun to have a room that's mixed of both, and you can feel both presences there. Uh, you know where yeah yeah. You know, because you you know to to feel the one shift into the other, you know. Yeah, I just want to say, yeah. If anybody comes to the shows next year, don't cut me any slack. <laughs> make sure, 
It's gonna be this is not perfect. Get upset. Yeah. Hair trigger booze. Uh please. Yeah. Stop. Just boo. Pick it up. <laughs> Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at discounttire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Can't you tell my love's a crow? There's, the, there's the, the what have you learned part of this. I mean, the kind of, and I think, I think about what you talked about. You know, people can probably discern about a lot of, you know, a lot of like the point of what you do, uh, and it's a very individual point. It's a very sort of like, it's a, you know, it's, it's unique, it's quiet, it's, you know, intellectual, but you know, it also ends up being, you know, a little bit revelatory about just kind of human, human stuff. Um, but I wonder if there's something that you've, you know, that you've learned that you kind of feel is like, you know, the main thing up to this, to this point. Cause you're not, you know, you're not old or anything. No, no, I think, um, I mean, I've, I've learned a ton of stuff to, to having to go. I think the biggest thing going from stand up to having to make the show was how to share ideas with collaborators and how to work with other people. Cause as standup, you don't really have to do that as much. Yeah. And like, uh, kind of, it's, it's scary to tell an idea. Like it was really, I mean, a lot of the show, uh, was hard to describe even to like the director, but like, we had the, I remember there was a moment where like where I lay a pumpkin to rest the first season and it was like, it was so ridiculous, but uh, it had to, you had to feel a real uh, emotion about it because of what it represented. And like, it was a little embarrassing to describe what this pumpkin represented to another person, but at yeah. the same time, you knew it had to be, uh, it had to be done, and like I, you can't do that yourself on a TV show. There's too many people involved. So, learning to like explain and trust people with your vision and allowing them to take it further than you ever could is like a big thing. And how to properly discuss when 
things are out of tone or not what your is inside your head in a, in the best way possible in a way that stays you know positive and encouraging because it's really it's really hard to uh yeah i think working with people is the a hard thing and it's one of the things that i'm excited to keep getting better at learn a lot of lessons in it throughout making the show and i've um yeah, it's exciting because now I feel like me, Marty Scousebo, who's the director and our production designer, Katie Birmingham, the writers, we all kind of, yeah, we have a certain understanding and a shorthand. And uh, that's so cool that they're like, I, I don't, we don't even have to talk sometimes and they get it. And yeah. to know that we're all communicating well and excited. Yeah, that's why. I'm excited to make the next thing with them, knowing that we're all on the same page. Like that was with, uh, yeah. That's so. That's yeah. that's the big thing I learned is lessons in how to collaborate. And uh, does that does that spread over into other areas of your life? Uh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, it carries over and. To everything i don't uh like doing a writer's room is one of the hardest things you can do i think and keeping everybody on the same creative path yeah and and making sure everybody's feeling good it didn't go perfectly during our show especially because we we're all close friends but like if you can make it function it's and listen to everybody's personality get to know them and what bothers them that's what i don't know it feels like that spreads to everybody if, if, if dealing with family issues dealing uh more patiently with uh i don't know when the neighbor's dog is barking <laughs> this is pro problem solving and yeah no understanding I mean, people it's it's like one of the main things about being a grown-up is learning you know collaboration it's it's it, and it uh, if you're not collaborating you're i mean unless uh, you know if you're some weirdo poet or something i don't know about that but you know but collaborating is where all the best stuff happens you know it, i i think i mean you, there yeah. has to be kind of a uniqueness of vision but like i think well you've you know you've just explained it yeah there's a very unique vision but it you got a bunch of people to share in it with you and that's got to feel pretty great yeah and yeah. when even being able to say like i don't know i have no idea what's going to happen and either being like would you mind giving me a little bit of time to figuring out or could you help talk this through with me because i'm lost yeah and being uh, i don't know that's that's pretty cool yeah that's the stuff that's uh yeah that was nice to learn well your new special, I'm going to tell you this. You probably don't know this. Uh, Joe Parra, Slow and Steady. It was released on YouTube on October 6th, and it's very funny. Uh, and uh, <laughs> you, you described it as an alternative comedian at the tail end of the second comedy boom, which is you really know how to promote yourself, man. That's, that's <laughs> that You can't turn that down. Let me at no. that. No, but it, it's a very funny special. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Sure. And yeah. you, you, uh, and then there's, you also have a podcast called drifting off with Joe Para. 
uh, where you help people unwind or even fall asleep, uh, which, you know, I mean, it, it is interesting to set yourself as a, uh, up as a comedian who is not offended if, if your work makes people nod off. No, that was, that was a thing I learned. I, my friend said they should, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like maybe in terms of where I'm headed, I've, if making good material, honest material for people to sleep to is my future too. And it's helping anybody fall asleep or relax. I don't know. I can, I could be content with that. Well, good. Well, I'm sure they didn't fall asleep to this podcast. <laughs> this is probably, people are probably like punching the wall right now. I have to listen to this. <laughs> Furious. <laughs> yeah. Just angry. I don't know why I'm just mad. All right. Well, Joe Parra, thank you so much uh, for spending the time. And uh, I hope our paths cross soon. Yeah, I hope so, too. Yeah. And uh, and thank all of you out there for listening. And uh, I'll be back next week with more of this. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco production. It is produced by Sean Doherty and engineered by Rich Garcia. Additional engineering support by Eduardo Perez and Joanna Samuel. Executive produced by Nick Liao, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, with assistance from Maddie Ogden. Research by Alyssa Grawl. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to The Three Questions with Andy Richter wherever you get your podcasts. And do you have a favorite question you always like to ask people? Let us know in the review section. Can't you tell my love's growing? Can't you feel it ain't showing? Oh, you must be a knowing. I've got a big, big love. This has been a Team Coco production. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.